This year, I plan to give a topic of Sidur. The idea would be to explain some of the halachic background of the Sidur, but mostly interpretation and explanation of the Siddur itself. Rav Salavechik always used to say that a person could learn Siddur like you learn Gemara. There is a lot of analysis, a lot of understanding of principles of Yahadut that can be derived from the Siddur, and we can explain many, many of the prayers in a very deep fashion. The goal is not to do this in a scientific, scholarly manner, but rather the way I personally, as a yeshiva person, have understood tefillah using various sources. Many people will know many, many sidurim have been, many, many sidurim have been printed, many, many pirushim with sidur have been written. Among them, the famous sidur of the Tzlosa da Avram, one of the ancestors of the Verdiger family, printed a sidur that is extremely interesting in the background of the comments of a Hasidic Rebbe who had some sort of a, a mechkar approach. Another famous interpretation would be in Rabbi Monk's book on the world of prayer, the four or five volume series of Nativ Bina of Rav Yakobsen, who explained Siddur, as well as many, many other books and articles that have been written about tefillah. My brother, Professor Yosef Tabori, has printed a bibliography of tefillot, of articles that have been written about tefillah, and just the bibliography is almost 300 pages. So one can wonder how much has been written about tefillah. I will begin today, in Yot Hashem, with the very beginning of the daily prayers, and we will start actually with a prayer that in a sense is not a prayer, but it's very well known in the world as the first thing that Jews generally say when they get up in the morning. And that, of course, is the statement, Observant listeners will notice that I pronounced it very carefully with a comma afterward, With mercy, you have given me back my neshama. The reason I emphasized it is because when I was a child in America, I vaguely remember that we used to say, I used to say, as if Rabbah was a an adjective or an adverb to the word Bechemla. Great mercy, Bechemla Rabbah. But then, of course, the word Emunatecha is left hanging. There is no meaning to the word Emunatecha by itself. So, therefore, later on, I realized that the correct version is Bechemla Rabbah, with great, with Bechemla, sorry, Shechzata Binishmati Bechemla, Kama Rabbah Emunatecha. And Rabbah Emunatecha would mean that God's Emunah, or the Emunah we have whatever way we want to explain it, is great. And that might refer to the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
has given me back my soul when I wake up in the morning. Since we see, seem to say that death is, well, rather, rather that sleep is an infinitesimal fraction of death. So when a person is asleep and wakes up, it's a slight version of Tchias HaMesim. Perhaps this would refer to Rabbi Munatecha, to the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu woke me up from my deep slumber. Or it could be a remez that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Rabbi Munatecha, will indeed fulfill Tchias HaMesim in its time and place. The reason that I pointed it out is because of a mistake that I made when I was a child. It's interesting to note that this mistake was quoted by Gedolei Yisrael to correct it. Today, I know that in the Shulchan Aruch, Simon Dalid, where the prayer is mentioned in the commentaries, the Yad Ephraim, a standard perush on the Shulchan Aruch, points out that this is the correct way to say it. So it seems that this mistake has been going on for many, many generations. And indeed, Polskim have realized that it's important to inform people to say it properly. Another point of grammar that I'd like to point out. So when I was a child in America, I went to co-educational schools in my early childhood. And they always taught us to say, To the best of my knowledge, they did not instruct the girls in my class to say modani, which would be, of course, the proper form for uh, girls. Today, where we have sidurim that are printed specifically for girls, and even in good sidurim, today they have printed the alternative for women to say modani. So I think, of course, that's an improvement over what we used to do. It's more correct for a girl to say moda ani lefanecha. The, as I said before, this prayer or statement is not actually a prayer. It's thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu, hoda for th- waking HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the morning. And it's not mentioned in the Gemara at all. The first source that I know of, perhaps other people can tell me of earlier sources, is quoted is by the Magen Avraham in the end of Simandalid of the Shulchan Aruch. The Magen Avraham quotes his book called Seder Hayom, where he discusses the question, which we'll get back to another time, whether a person could say the Birchos HaShachar without washing his hands. Interestingly enough, we'll just mention it briefly, although we'll get back to it, as I said, another time. In the Shulchan Aruch, and it seems that's true in the Rambam for sure, the Rambam says, the Shulchan Aruch, I'm sorry, says at the end of Sivdalit, Lo tiknun netirat yadayim elo lekriyat The takana of washing your hands is only for davening in Kriyashma. Ava bechot, brachot shacharit, yachol levarech kodem netila. But the brachos hashachar, you can make before you wash your hands. Unless a person sleeps completely unclothed. Then he shouldn't mention God's name until he cleans his hands. Perhaps it depends upon the custom of what type of clothes people wear while they're asleep. It could be that originally 
Many people actually slept in their regular clothes, and there was no need to assume that they had reason to wash their hands in the morning. And therefore, they could make the birchas hashachar without washing your hands. Unless you felt that, as the Shulchan Aruch pointed, you slept in a way that you felt unclothed. Therefore, you would have to yinakeotam. It doesn't say you have to wash your hands. It says you have to be uh, clean your hands. And the Magen Avram says, you can clean it any way you can clean it. You don't need to wash your hands for the Birchas HaShachar. Then the Magen Avram says, and as I said, quoting the a book called Seder Hayom, he says, when a person wakes up in the morning, he should say, To the best of my knowledge, this is the first source of saying in the morning. It became so important and so, uh, so much a part of the daily routine that I remember this is one of the first things that I was taught when I was a child. When you wake up, you say, the purpose of saying Modani seems to have a double purpose. One, in order to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu when you wake up in the morning. It is not automatic that a person wakes up every morning. The first thing a person should do in the morning is to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKara Satov is such an important element of Judaism that we start our daily life by Hakara Satov, by thanking Hakadosh Baruch Hu for the good that He did, for thanking us, for waking us. The second point is that a person should start his daily routine by thinking of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, by understanding that waking up is not just a physical action, but it's something to have a meeting with Hakadosh Baruch Hu every single time as soon as you wake up. The reason this was instituted, according to the way the Magen Avram writes, is seemingly that a person should be able to do this even before he washes his hands. Even in a case where a person feels he could not say the brachas, but Ani he could say. And the reason he could say Ani, of course, is because there's no mention of God. There's no even a kinui some sort of a substitute name, what we would call in English a nickname, but a kinui for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, there's no problem to say this at all. Interestingly enough, in the Sefer called Sosad Avram that I mentioned before, they quote Rabbi Yaakov Emdin, who said that you should say Ani in the morning, but Rabbi Yaakov Emdin suggests that you should not say this without washing your hands. It seems from Nagan Avram that's the entire purpose of saying Modeani. Whereas according to the Rabbi Yaakov Emdin, as quoted in the Sosa Avram, it would seem that you should not say Modeani if you did not wash your hands. However, there is one still important distinction. To say the brachos without washing your hands is wrong. To say Modeani without saying without washing your hands is also seems to be wrong. However, the, the, the Rabbi Yaakov Emden suggested that a person should think the words of Modani, not actually say them, but think those words, Modani lefanecha melech and that would be sufficient 
in order to start the day the way I said, in order to do Akar Satov, begin the day by a some sort of a meeting with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, even though you did not say the words out loud. There is a story that I'd like to share with you about a great Hasidic Shebeba and his attitude toward Modani. I don't remember exactly about whom the story is told. I vaguely remember that it's about the Kotzker, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotzk. We all know that in the early days of Hasidus, many of the Hasidic Shebebes davened rather late. Many Hasidim davened way after the Zman Kriyashma. Some after the Zman Tefillah as well. And this is one of the major bones of contention between the Hasidim and the Misnagdim. And much has been written about it. Some of it has been written from the Hasidic point of view, why it's good that they did. And some people have written stories and articles on the basis of the arguments of the Misnagdim, why this is a very bad approach. I particularly like a mashal given by the Chafetz Chaim, and of course my bias is in favor of the Misnagdim in this particular issue. The Chafetz Chaim once spoke to a person who davened very, very late. But they asked him, why do you daven so late? So he said, because I feel that I have much more kavana. I am much more awake. I prepare myself for davening much more. He goes to mikveh. He makes all kinds of preparations of hachanos. And he feels that by the time he's ready, it's very late. It's too late to daven. But his davening is very, very beautiful. So the Chavetz Chaim told him a famous parable, a marshal. And he told him as follows. There was a person who had an inordinate love for checks. On one hand, we all love checks. People pay us money, we cash, we get checks, we're very happy, and we redeem them. People give us presents, checks, we're really happy. This person, though, liked checks in a very strange way. When he got the check, he used to fold it beautifully, iron it out so that it should look lovely, put it away in a special case, in a special drawer, in a special dresser, and keep his checks. He didn't bother cashing them because he liked checks. He kept his checks. One day, he walked into a bank and he saw a person take out a check from his pocket. It was very crumpled up and it actually was a little bit torn and it was muddy. It had fallen outside in the rain, fallen into a puddle. The man comes to the bank and brings this check and this man looks, look how ugly this check is. And he presents it to the teller. The man gives him a 100,000 shekels, $100,000, whatever the check was. So this man drew a kalachomer. Look at this check, how ugly it is, how crumpled, how dirty it is, how wet it is. And nevertheless, it's worth $100,000. My check, which is ironed, folded, looks so beautiful... Obviously, I'm going to get a lot of money. I decided to cash in my hobby and bring all the checks to the bank. He brought the first check in, and the teller looks at it. I'm sorry, sir, this check is 10 years old. You can't cash it. The next check is 9 years old, 7 years old, 6 years old, 2 years old. So I'm sorry, you can't cash them. He said, but they're beautiful. The other man's checks were ugly. You gave him money. He said, look, I don't care 
how ugly the check is, how torn it is, as long as it's not completely torn, but as long, if it's a little wet, a little dirty, I don't care. The check was written on the right date. I can cash it within a certain amount of time of the check being written. Fine. But a check that his time is passed, I don't care how beautiful it is, it's not worth anything. And the Chavetz Chaim, the, Chav, the Misnaged, almost par excellence, therefore argued that Tfilah, which is not so beautiful, not so well ironed, not so well designed, not so well decorated, but it's on time, the Tfilah is accepted. As long as it's within the right time and the right words, the right statements are made. However, I don't care how beautiful your tefillah is. If it's very, very late, it's not going to be accepted. Even if it's the most beautiful, the most kavana you can possibly imagine. Of course, this is the Misnagid version. Now I'll tell you a little bit of the Hasidic version. When they asked the Kutzker, why did he dive in so late? So the, the Kutzker allegedly said, if I'm right, it's the Kutzker. If not, some other Rebbe said, I can't help it. I just get up in the morning, I say Modeani, and then I go to Davin right away. And so the man said, what, and what time is that? He says, I don't know, about 10 o'clock in the morning. So he says, so why don't you get up earlier? You probably get up at 9.30, say Modeani, and Davin at 10 o'clock. Get up earlier. So the answer was, I do get up earlier. I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. All I do is say Modeani, and then I go to Davin. So he said, I don't understand. What do you do from 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock? He said, look, I have a habit of translating the words of some of the prayers into Yiddish. And then I think about each word individually. So the first word I say, modeh. And I translate into Yiddish, ich bin dankbar. I'm very grateful. And then I think, what is the concept of being grateful in Yadut? How am I grateful? How do I expect how do I express this? What, to whom am I grateful? Why am I grateful? And I think about this for half an hour. Then I say the word ani, ich. And I begin to think, who am I? What does it mean, me? Who is it? What is the personality? What is my personality? And how do I have the right to even think of meeting HaKadosh Baruch Hu so early in the morning. Ever. But I haven't prepared myself, I haven't davened, I haven't washed up, I haven't gone to the mikveh. Who am I to come to HaKadosh Baruch And then I say the next word. That that word, by the way, Ani, takes me also about an hour, an hour and a half. And then I say the word, Lef Anecha, before you. And I begin to think, what does it mean, Lef Anecha? First of all, who is you? What does it mean, you? How do I speak to HaKadosh Baruch Hu directly? Far dir. In Yiddish, the, you pronounce, when you speak to you, you can speak in a formal v- word, or you could speak in a nonchalant way, where, the way you speak to your friends. When you say dir, that's the way you speak to your relatives, to your friends, to your peers. And ear is when you speak to a more, uh, a person elevated beyond your stature. When you speak to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we use the more familiar dear. And then I think, how do I speak to HaKadosh Baruch Hu at all? And how do I speak to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a familiar tone? Not even using 
the respectful tone of ear, which would correspond, for example, in French, to the vu and the tu. And you speak to HaKadosh Baruch and you say the tu, rather than the vu. How can I possibly do that? And and what does it mean to stand before HaKadosh Baruch Where is HaKadosh Baruch you, we all remember the Hasidic story that they came to a little boy and said, where is HaKadosh Baruch Hu? I'll give you a ruble if you could tell me where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. And he answered, I'll give you back two rubles if you tell me where HaKadosh Baruch Hu isn't. So he said, I think about the word of Anecha very long time. And therefore, I no longer have any time to daven. By the time I finish saying, and going on to every word, Melech, Vekayam, etc., it's already 10 o'clock. So I just consider myself anus. I cannot daven any earlier. I daven as early as I possibly can. Whether we would, you know, follow a Hasidic custom or a Misnagid custom, we must appreciate the greatness of such a person who would realize that prayer should be thought about, analyzed, not just recited like a daily routine. Every day a person should try to think and analyze the words of the tefillah. The last point I'd like to make in connection with the statement of Modeh Ani is rather of halachic concern. The Mishnah in Brachos, says that women are obligated to daven daily. Nashim chayavot b'tefillah. The Gemara discusses on Amud Beis why does this need to be mentioned? What is the Chiddush of it? And the Gemara explains that women have to daven their various texts of the Gemara to explain the reason the Gemara had to say it or what the Chiddush is. And then the Gemara explains that it seems to be almost like a mitzvah sasei grama. And therefore the Gemara says that tefillah equals rachameh a type of supplication, and women require rachame. Now, the, you could argue how many times a woman has to daven, but no one could argue and say that women do not have to daven. The Mishnah said it clearly. All the poskim quote this Gemara, that women have to daven. The Chavetz Chaim, for example, paskin that women have to daven twice a day. Svaradi women have a psak of Rav Avad Yosef, that women have to daven only once a day. Rav Salavechik thinks that women actually should daven three times a day. Be that as it may, it's clear that women at least have to daven once a day. Throughout the ages, apparently, it was well known that many, many women did not daven daily. And the question was asked, why is this true? When I was teaching a class once about the obligation of women to daven, a young lady in my class told me that she had just recently read the biography of the Chafetz Chaim. I had quoted the Chafetz Chaim as saying that a woman has to daven twice a day. But the young lady told me that in the biography of the Chafetz Chaim, it said that Mrs. Chafetz Chaim did not daven. And she asked me, how could it be that the Chafetz Chaim said you have to daven and his wife didn't daven? I am not sure what the answer is, but I suggested a few possibilities. One of them is how accurate this book is 
I don't know. It's not a scientific biography. It's not a scholarly biography. And maybe one morning, whatever happened, uh, Mrs. Chavetz Chaim didn't daven. I don't know this occurred on a regular basis. Secondly, let us assume it did occur on a regular basis. What was the situation of Mrs. Chavetz Chaim at that time? We know that today, with all our modern conveniences, indoor plumbing, we can buy bread and milk in the local stores, we can buy prepared food. The time that a woman can allot fitfilah is probably greater than she could in the time of the Chafetz Chaim. I don't know, for example, how many children the Chafetz Chaim had. But let's say he had eight children below the age of ten. In the morning, to get these kids up, ready for school, the mother would have to go out and get milk somehow. She'd have to get bread somehow, probably bake it herself. She probably would have to take them all out to clean them up and wash them to get them ready for school. So, it could very well be that in the time of Zman Shachris, she had no time to daven. And maybe in that case, she would be anus. Let's say there would be a similar situation today where a man has Baruch Hashem 10 children and his wife goes to the hospital to have her 11th and he has to get the 10 kids up in the morning by himself. Do you think he would go to shul that morning? Do you think he would have time to daven unless the neighbors would come in and help or maybe already one of the children is old enough to, to dress the others. But we do understand that there are occasions where a person really does not have time to daven in which case he might be considered a noose. My third suggestion was that even if we would assume that what I said before is not true, and even if we would assume that women, that Mrs. Chavetz Chaim actually did not daven at all, all that you can infer from this story is that the Chavetz Chaim did not divorce a woman who did not daven. There is no reason to assume the Chavetz Chaim endorsed her practice of not davening, even if we would assume that it's true that she didn't daven and she had time to daven and it was a true story, etc. Nevertheless, all you can prove from here is that the Chafetz Chaim did not divorce her. The fact that the Chafetz Chaim approved of this practice is not implied at all by the story. I know of many other cases where women were asked by their husband to do a certain practice and they, for whatever reason, didn't want to do it. So the husband doesn't have to divorce his wife for those particular practices. So therefore, there's no proof why women didn't have, there's no proof from Mrs. Chavetz Chaim. But I do know that the feeling was that for generations, Jewish women did not have him. The Magen Avram raised this issue and really asked the question, why don't women daven? The Magen Avram said that the custom is so widespread that everybody says, every morning. And that is a prayer. That's a tefillah. The basic biblical obligation to pray does not mean that a person should say Shemon Esrei. Actually, Shemon Esrei was devised, well, we'll learn when we get to Shemon Esrei, much later in the year. 
But when we get to Shmanesi, we'll see there's a Takana, and we call it Anshik Nestagdola, made up Shmanesi. So, but the biblical obligation that obviously does not mean saying Shmanesi. The biblical obligation is to have a meeting with HaKadosh Baruch Hu daily. And since women did have the custom of saying Modani, that was sufficient. That's all they had to do. And therefore, women did daven. They didn't daven like we, like men daven, but they daven daily. This is well known as the opinion of the Chafetz Chaim, it, of, of, of the Magan Avram. The, it is also well known that Rav Salavechik strongly disagreed with his approach because he pointed out that even though there is no specific text of tefillah according to the Torah, but nevertheless there must be a structure of tefillah in the Torah. And the structure, as explained by the Rambam, is to precede your prayer by Shavach. Praise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. After you say the Shavach, you say the Bakasha, which is the supplication. And afterwards you say Hoda'ah, which is thank you. The Shemona Esrei that we say obviously has these three elements. The first, brach, th- the first three brachas of Shemona Esrei, Magin Avram, Mechaya Mesim, Hakel HaKadosh, are formulated around Shavach, praise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The next 15, well, 12 or 13 brachas were part of the Bakasha. All those brachas have Bakasha. And the last three brachas are the brachas of Odah from Modim, etc. Those brachas are all Hodah. So that formula is a biblical source. Today, we will not have time to discuss the source for these brachas. However, uh, we will discuss it in Miyot Hashem later this year. Uh, people who are curious can look up the Arsameach on the Rambam who tries to explain the biblical source for the order of tefillah. Nevertheless, the order is biblically mandated according to the Rambam. If this is true, argues Rav Salavechik, there is no way that women can fulfill the daily obligation of tefillah by just saying Modani, which has no bakasha at all. So he strongly opposed the opinion of the of the Magen Avraham, and he stressed that women should daven at least once a day. But himself, he believed that women should daven indeed three times a day. I'd like to conclude by mentioning that at the funeral of Mrs. Salavechik, Rabbi Salavechik's mother, Rabbi Aaron Salavechik pointed out that his mother davened three times a day from the day she was bas mitzvah until the day of her passing. He pointed out at the end that he realized how befuddled and confused he was because he was an onain, so totally involved in death of a relative that he said something which need not be said. He said, after all, when my father passed away, I didn't say that he davened three times a day because everybody understood. It's obvious that people davened three times a day. He said, there's no difference between men and women. So why did I mention this at all? Of course, women have to daven three times a day and my mother just fulfilled the daily obligation. We, on the other hand, certainly understood why Rabbi Salvechik almost instinctively mentioned it because it, it is an unusual practice that a woman should be able to say 
at the end of her life or someone saying her name that she actually did daven three times a day. Even though the Salavechik family felt strongly that women were obligated to daven three times a day, it was very unusual at that time. Today, perhaps, we have reached a different level and many, many, many more women do daven three times a day. But nevertheless, in that time, it was rather, rather unusual. And therefore, Rabbi Salavechik saw fit to mention it at his mother's funeral.